A Jewish rabbi was having a conversation with some of his students, and he asked them this question, how can we determine the hour of dawn when the night ends and the day begins? And the students thought about it, and then one of them suggested and said, is it when from a distance you can distinguish between a dog and a sheep? Rabbi answered, no. Another student said, well, is it when you can distinguish between a fig tree and a grapevine? Again, the rabbi answered, no. And so the student said, please tell us the answer. How can you determine when the night ends and the day begins? The rabbi looked at each of his students. He paused and then finally said, it is when you can look into the face of another human being. And you have enough light in you to recognize your brother or your sister. Until then, it is night and darkness is still with us. We're in a series right now called Encounters with Jesus. And we're looking at some stories and encounters and conversations that Jesus had with people. And while each of these conversations and encounters had their own uniqueness, the reality is that every person left that encounter having been changed in some way, having experienced the beauty and love and compassion of Jesus' incredible love for them, meeting them in the moment that they found themselves in. No judgment, no criticism, but simply as they were. And it changed each of them. It also means that Jesus can meet each of us, no matter our story, no matter the situation that we find ourselves in. And that is incredibly good news, that Jesus' love and kindness and compassion is relentlessly pursuing you right now in this moment. Well, this morning, we're going to look at another fascinating encounter that Jesus had with someone. Here are the clues. Some Bible trivia. See, first person that can shout it out. Little man tree. Yes, I heard Zacchaeus. Right on. We're going to talk about Zacchaeus, this wee little man, as the classic Sunday school song goes. Well, it's a familiar story. Probably many of us have heard it many times before. But here's the thing. There's always something to be learned. There's always something new, something unexpected that happens whenever a person encounters Jesus. It might be an action that catches us off guard. It might be an imagery or an idea or a word that begins to shift thinking because there's always something unexpected. That's how Jesus works. He's not predictable. You can't fit him into a nice, neat, tidy box because he always wants to bring us into a new experience and a moment and a place with himself. So we're going to jump into Zacchaeus' story as found in Luke chapter 19. And then we're going to talk about two responses that I think can come from the story that connect us and to our own lives here today. And so Luke chapter 19 begins with these words, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. Now, Jericho, if you remember, is most famous for what? The story of the walls falling down. And it just might be possible here that we're going to see some other walls that are going to happen and fall down in this story. Verse 2, there is a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. Everyone knew who Zacchaeus was. Everyone knew what Zacchaeus did for a living. And tax collectors were not well liked. Actually, hated is the more accurate word. 
because tax collectors worked for the hated Roman Empire. And so these tax collectors would collect these exorbitant taxes from their own people and then hand it over to the enemy. It was seen as a betrayal to the country, which was bad enough. But then the tax collectors would add on their own extra fees from their own pocket or to line their own pockets, service fees, banking fees, tips, you name it, they collected it. And we're told that Zacchaeus was a very wealthy man. Presumably he had worked his way up the ladder of greed and profiting off people, working for his own advantage and gain and self-interest. Well, needless to say, people were not happy with tax collectors. And if you're the chief tax collector, just imagine what people would have thought of you. Frederick Beekner, wonderful writer, creatively describes Zacchaeus as a sawed-off little social disaster with a big bank account and a crooked job. Well, we're told in other stories in the Bible that if you had to rank the worst people in society, the list would include robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and tax collectors. So it's quite the list. And because of that, people were pushed, these tax collectors were pushed to the margins. They were excluded. They were mistreated. They were looked down on. They were judged. They were hated. You would go out of your way to avoid contact with Zacchaeus and others like him. You wouldn't talk to him unless it was absolutely necessary, like paying your taxes. You certainly wouldn't be friends with him or want to be seen with him. And while Zacchaeus' position may have given him this enormous wealth, he is very much an outsider. On this particular day, word gets out on the street that Jesus is coming to town. Everyone has heard about this guy named Jesus because amazing things seem to happen wherever he goes. Stories of healings and miracles. This Jesus would would call out and would challenge the religious leaders and the systems that were oppressing people and instead was welcoming the outsiders and those on the margins. Seemed that wherever Jesus went, God's power was tangibly at work. And so the crowds got bigger and bigger because everyone wanted to see Jesus, including Zacchaeus. Maybe he had heard these stories as well and wanted to see if just maybe it was true. Verse 3, it says, Zacchaeus desperately wanted to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. There's just one little problem. Literally, Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. He was super short. He couldn't see over the crowd. You can picture the scene, can't you? Zacchaeus trying to push his way through the crowd, trying to catch a glimpse of this Jesus, and yet he can't get through. And I'm sure the crowd was not going to let this nasty tax collector weasel his way through the crowd. You can imagine, I'm sure there's a lot of pushing and shoving going on, this opportunity to accidentally nudge the tax collector who happened to be right beside them. Can you imagine? Nope, sorry, sorry, Zach, didn't see you there. Oops, sorry about that. But he doesn't take no for an answer. In his job, he had probably gotten pretty good at not taking no for an answer. Verse 4, so Zacchaeus ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Zacchaeus has such a desperate longing to see Jesus that he is literally willing to go out on a limb just to catch a glimpse of him, which took courage and faith. 
When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. You can imagine that Zacchaeus sees Jesus getting closer and closer to a spot, and then it's like, why is Jesus slowing down? Why is Jesus stopping at my tree? Why is Jesus looking up at, oh my goodness, he's stopping, he's looking at me, the whole crowd is stopping and looking at me as well. I'm not sure that Zacchaeus actually wanted to be seen sitting in a tree. Had to have been pretty humiliating for this really rich guy with this really important job in the Roman Empire, but hated by his own people to be caught sitting in the branches of a tree like a little kid. And yet it doesn't faze Jesus at all. And he looks up at Zacchaeus. I love that picture as I imagine it in my mind's eye. Maybe it was the first time in Zacchaeus' life where someone had actually looked up at him instead of looking down. Where someone for the first time had looked him in his eyes with love and compassion. Saw him not as a problem, but as a person. Jesus has a way of looking at people, doesn't he? Making them feel seen, recognizing them as his brother and as, as a sister, as part of his family. Dawn is beginning to come, to use the language of the opening story. And in that moment, Jesus invites Zacchaeus to a party at his own house. Verse 5, Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. The guy who would never get invited anywhere, the outsider, the most hated man in town, is going to be the host of a Jesus party. It's so unexpected. Zacchaeus, verse 6, quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the crowd was displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. So there are two responses given here in the story. And that's what I want us to focus on for the rest of our time here today. The first is the crowd's response. The crowd has been following Jesus all around town. It's been exciting. It's been loud. But now they come to the screeching sudden stop. And they turn their heads to where Jesus is. And they look up to where Jesus is looking. And they're in the branches looking super awkward is Zacchaeus. And after what seems like an incredibly loud pause, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down quickly. I'm sure the crowd is thinking, finally, finally, someone is going to call this guy out. Finally, someone has the courage to tell this guy exactly what we all think of him. Finally, Zacchaeus is going to get his payday. Crook is going to meet his justice. And as Zacchaeus slides down the tree, Jesus shocks everyone with his next words. Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. Mic drop. Which would have been more effective if I actually had a mic. What? That's not supposed to happen. The crowd's ticked off. They start to grumble and complain. Doesn't Jesus know who this guy is? Doesn't Jesus know what Zacchaeus does for a living? How could Jesus even consider doing something like this? Zacchaeus is not the type of guy that you go have a party with. 
He's on the outside. He doesn't deserve to be included in the party, let alone be the host of the party. He's a sinner. Just leave him up in the tree, but don't be going to his house. I can't say that I blame the crowd for their response. Because to be honest, I would probably be thinking and saying the same thing. Because I've been guilty of doing the same thing. Far too often in my own life, as I've reflected on this story, I've looked back and I've been so guilty of writing people off. Of dismissing them. Of excluding them. Of labeling them. Of judging person by what I would see and then I would put them into all sorts of categories. I had a lot of labels that I would put onto people, seeing them only as that particular word or identity. I would see them only for their addictions or their struggles or their bad life choices or their sexuality or the beliefs that they had that didn't quite line up with what I thought to be true. And the list could go on and on. It's an awful way to see people because I would see them as problems and not as people. I was full of so much prejudice. And for the longest time, I wasn't open to the possibility that God may actually already be at work in that person, even though I couldn't see it. Even though they didn't look like me or act like me or believe just like I do. But over time, through my own Jesus encounters, I began to change. I began to see that Jesus spent most of his time with people who were on the margins. Those who had been labeled and pushed out, written off by others. Those who had been hurting and lonely and broken. Those who were living messy, complicated lives. People who desperately needed some grace and compassion and love to be shown to them. People waiting to be seen. People longing to be seen and included and invited and welcomed. I began to spend time with those who were not like me. I began to hear their stories and experiences, began to see where Jesus was present in their lives and began to see that Jesus was actually inviting them as well to his table, to his family. And slowly I began to come awake to this reality that God is at work in all sorts of people and in all sorts of ways. And gradually, over time, I've seen those walls of prejudice, writing people off, begin to crumble and fall around me. I've realized that Jesus has actually been there the entire time, already working in the lives of the people that I least expected. And that is an incredibly beautiful thing to witness. What if this story is just as much about the crowd's encounter with Jesus as it is with Zacchaeus' encounter with him? What if this is a moment where Jesus challenges the prejudices of the crowd who are convinced that a person like that could never change, could never be invited, could never be included or welcomed? It's been said that this is a story that reminds us that God shows up uninvited despite our judgment, our stereotypes, our expectations, our past behaviors, or our shame cycles. The reality is that Jesus' love and grace is found in unexpected places and people. Here's the second response to the story, and it's Zacchaeus's. Here is a man who had been excluded 
and pushed away for his entire life because of his physical size, because of his job, because of what he did to people. And yet as Jesus looks at him and invites him into this new friendship with himself, as Zacchaeus is welcomed by love and compassion and kindness in a way that he's never experienced before, something begins to change and to shift inside of him. A life that has once been defined by greed and self-interest and accumulation of wealth and taking advantage of people now changes because of his encounter with Jesus. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up. I love that. Picture himself just straightening himself up just a little bit as much as possible. And he says to Jesus, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus publicly announces his new plan that he will give away 50% of his entire wealth to the poor. And from the remaining 50%, he will pay people back four times what he has stolen from them. It's this incredibly generous and transforming response. Because according to Jewish law, Zacchaeus would have only been required to pay besides the principal an extra 20% for the wrongdoing and the cheating. And yet here we see he pledges to make restitution at 400%. And while the crowd may not have liked the idea of Jesus going to this guy's house, they're probably excited to hear that they're going to get some of their money back. It's the first tax refund in history. (laughs) Thank you for laughing. Jesus' love makes people generous. This is radical generosity at work. It's generosity that makes you sit up and take notice. It's generosity from an unexpected person. It's generosity that is shaped around others. It's not just being generous to friends or to people who can help me climb the ladder of success. It is radical generosity to those who would never repay anything back. Jesus' love makes people generous. I want to tell you one last story. It's from Lisa Lang, who is the acclaimed television journalist. A few years ago, she did a story about a private school in California and a nearby state prison that houses California's largest group of men who are serving life sentences. And as strange as that relationship with sound, over the last number of years, those two worlds have collided through a book club where students... And prisoners come together to learn, to read together, and to share their stories with each other. Lisa tells of one student whose family had suffered some medical emergencies and found themselves struggling to pay tuition. That's the student right there. The prisoners from this book club found out about the situation, and they raised more than $30,000 to help this student pay his tuition, graduate, and then move on to university. Here's the surprising thing. The prisoners didn't have a lot of money to give because when they work in prison, minimum wage is as low as eight cents an hour. It's not a mistake. I didn't say eight dollars, eight cents an hour. Think of what it took to raise $30,000. Some of the inmates who didn't have money sold what few possessions they had. Some of them even sold their extra food so they could be a part of what was happening so that they could give. Talk about radical generosity. One of the inmates from the program is a guy named James Jacobs. 
He was just 15 years old when he got sentenced to 40 years in prison. Can you imagine? Coming through prison, James came to faith in Christ. And he's being transformed by Jesus into a person of radical generosity. I want you to listen to what he told Lisa. It was about a moment where he was faced with a decision where he could either revert back to his old way of thinking and life, or he could move forward into a new way of living, into a new experience. And this is what he said. In that moment, I remember the biblical scripture saying, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The God that I believe in was not telling me to change, but to be something new, something completely different, something you are not in this moment. And then he said, in that moment, I made the choice to transform. That transformation allowed him to see people differently to respond to people differently, to act with a transformed love and generosity, because that's what a Jesus encounter tends to do. It releases this outpouring of radical generosity towards others. Jesus declares to Zacchaeus and the crowd, today salvation has come. Today is the recognition and declaration that Zacchaeus, you also are part of God's family. You also are included in God's kingdom. This way of living and being that demonstrates love and generosity towards others. So as we wrap up this story, I want to leave us with two questions to consider. You may find yourself drawn more to one than to the other. You may see yourself more in one than the other. And that's okay. It's an invitation to bring it to Jesus and to prayerfully reflect on what he might be asking you to do and asking me to do. Here's the first question. Who in your life are you treating as a Zacchaeus? Are there people that you are writing off, excluding from your life, like the crowd wanted to do with Zacchaeus? Perhaps you're thinking, how could that person ever qualify or be included or be part of God's story? I want to encourage you to face that head on, to confess it to God, to ask him to release the prejudices, the labels that you may have put onto other people, and to open your heart to the possibility that Jesus works in surprising places and people. It's been said, find out what God is doing and join him there. Even in the unexpected places. Even in unexpected people. Here's the second question. How are you practicing generosity in your life? Generosity to those who least expect it. Generosity and love and grace to those around us. Generosity to take what we have and instead of using the resources and the giftings and things that we have for our own advantage and self-interest, to let Jesus' love instead shape it and take it to all sorts of people and places around us. At the end of the day, this is a story about Jesus' generous invitation that everyone who wants to come is welcome at his party, that all are welcome at his table this is a story about Jesus seeing you in your moment, in your life, and including you in his family with no strings attached. 
simply invite it to open up your heart and to come. This is a story of how we are called to live out generosity because we are being shaped by Jesus' love that is transforming us from the inside out. How can you determine when the night ends and the day begins? So when you can look into the face of another human being, the people around you, and you have enough light in you to recognize them as your brother or as your sister. May we be people who see the other and generously welcome them to Jesus' table. May we be people who live out radical generosity and love to those that we meet on this road of life. Amen.